Well, happy Easter, uh, church family. Go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have those. And turn with me to the book of Colossians. Uh, the book of Colossians. If you don't have uh, a Bible with you, there's one uh, there at your seat. We would love for you to take that home with you. That is our gift uh, to you. But if it's easier for you, you can follow along with the words. Uh, the verses will be up on the screen. Uh, my name is Derek. For those uh, who may not know uh, who I am, if we haven't met yet, uh, I'm one of the pastors and elders here uh, at Tri-Cities uh, Baptist, and I serve as the lead teaching pastor here at this location. And so we're thankful that you come to be part to celebrate the risen Christ uh, together. And so as Christians, uh, we believe, uh, especially here, that uh, the Bible is the Word of God, that God spoke and told us about himself. We don't have to look into the heavens and figure out who God is. Like We believe who God is because he's revealed himself um, through his word. And so what we kind of have the normal practice of doing around here, uh, most Sundays uh, we're just going verse by verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so as a faith family, over the last few weeks we've been going uh, verse by verse through the letter of, to the church at Colossae. That's kind of, you see that in Colossians. Uh, here in the Bible, and so uh, you're gonna kinda, we're going to continue that study uh, today and how that applies to what we're celebrating today in the resurrection uh, of Christ. And so we want to begin with uh, one of um, the verses that Jeremy just read, uh, Colossians 1, 19. So that's where we'll begin uh, this morning. I want to read this uh, about our Savior uh, to kind of set up where we're going uh, to go. For in Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased uh, to dwell. And so what we are celebrating today and what people are celebrating all around the world, all different cultures, all different ethnicities, all around the world, different socioeconomic um, strata, all around throughout human history, people have celebrated and worshipped Jesus as God. We believe that Jesus was not just a good man who had some good teachings, who lived a couple thousand years ago. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. So he did not speak on behalf of someone else. He spoke on, on, with authority from God, that God became a man. We're going to talk about why he did that. We're going to talk about what all that means for our lives uh, today. So when we say something like, Jesus is alive, Jesus rose from the dead, no one else in human history can say that. No one else can make that claim. No other religious leader can make that claim. No one else can make that claim that I have died and that I was buried and that I rose again and I live today. Like that is a claim that only God himself, who became a man, can make. And so, listen, I know, I, I want to be sensitive. I don't want us just to come in, you guys to hear a good little talk, and you go eat really good food. Amen? It's going to happen here in a little bit. Um, I don't know I shouldn't be talking about food already because I've got like two hours to preach, so you guys will be hungry. Um, just an hour and a half, I'm kidding. Um, so I know some of us are doubting that statement deeply. We say Jesus is alive, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is fully God, and you go, ah, really, guys? I mean, let's, this is the 21st century. We still are believing that somebody conquered death, rose from the dead. Like, I've never seen that happen. It's impossible for that to happen. Um, some of us seriously doubt that, that statement. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. I hope that this is a safe place to wrestle with some of those questions. Um, others of us in this room cognitively agree with that statement. That I believe there's a man named Jesus who claimed to be God and who rose from the dead. Like, we believe that. We would check yes if we were surveyed about the question. We believe it. But it means absolutely nothing for the way you live your life. It has no claim whatsoever um, to tomorrow. 
just kind of, yeah, it's a thing that happened in the past, and because I kind of believe that, I would probably say I'm a Christian, but you have no idea what the resurrection means uh, for you. Um, still others of us in this room uh, have claimed this reality for our own. Like we have received the resurrection power of Jesus for us. Um, but I think so many of us just have a blind faith. That we just believe it, and I can think it's even to a point that it's saving faith, but you never really ask yourself the question, why do I believe it? Like is it really true? Because listen, this is not just a matter of religious preferences, what we're celebrating across the world today on Easter. This is not just a matter of religious preferences. This is a matter of truth or untruth. Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? And if it does, like we need to believe that. Like why is our faith in that, Christians? Like why do we believe that, yes, everything is centered around the resurrection? Like we need to know why we believe that. Because it does have bearings and, and implications on every part of our lives. And so before we jump into Colossians, let me just bear with me. Uh, and I just want to give you three um, um, undeniable, and I think that's a fair word, uh, reasons for the validity of the resurrection. Because some of you are here going, I'm here because my neighbor invited me or my friend invited me, my family invited me. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. Um, and he's going to get up there. I, I don't want to assume anything. Like, I want you to really wrestle with this. this is, faith is not absent of reason. So believe in Jesus does not mean we leave all of our rationale and our ability to think. So listen to these. And, and these are reasons that almost every serious historian will agree with. Even the ones that are antagonistic against the church. Okay? These who would say, I don't believe the resurrection happened. But they have to say, to be fair to history and to really look at evidence. That yet yeah, these three statements, the way they're worded, almost every historian around the world believes it. Here, I'm going to run through these very quickly. We've got to wrestle with this. So if you don't believe, the burden of proof is on us to say, what do we do with these things? The tomb in which Jesus was buried, and that tomb was of a well-known, influential, cultural leader, and was guarded by the most powerful Roman army of that day. That tomb was discovered empty by women the Sunday following the crucifixion. So people say, oh, well, we got the tomb wrong, or um, that he didn't really die. He was just kind of hit a swoon, kind of swooned in death. But somehow, how are you going to account for getting out of the Roman guards, the most powerful, we just read it earlier, powerful army of that day said, guard the body, we're not going to let anybody come up with a hoax that somebody stole his body. How did the disciples get past those guards to steal the body, to say that he had risen from the dead? So the wrong tomb, I mean, really, the Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in the scripture so that we would know, and for the people of that day, written 60 years, the gospel of Mark was, after this event, could go back and say, ask Joseph, <laughs> like, yes, it was my tomb. It was my tomb that I borrowed to Jesus. Like, you could go to the tomb. There was no mistake in which tomb it was. We've got to do something with that. How did the tomb? It was empty. If somebody stole his body, if it was the Romans, then when all the, these disciples started to say, hey, Jesus is alive, they could say, no, 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 here's his body. Well, man, maybe this actually happened. Number two, Jesus' disciples had real experiences with one whom they believed was the risen Christ. Some people say, oh, now, they just so wanted their leader to still be alive that they hallucinated, or they dreamt up that they saw Jesus. But it wasn't just, see, hallucinations don't work that way. They're all individual hallucinations. And we have evidence that Jesus was seen by many, many people. I want to read this to you. Mel read this earlier in our um, confession together. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul's writing to a church at Corinth, and he's saying to them, I want you... Um, to understand that this resurrection deal, this gospel deal, has implications on your life. Notice 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Um, For I delivered to you as of first importance. 
this gospel, this resurrection, like there's nothing more important than this. Did it happen? First importance, there's a lot of important things that the Bible teaches, a lot of important things and questions you may have, but the question of all questions is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Start there. So he said, I also received this, that Christ died for our sins. That's why the cross is such good news. He didn't just die, he died for our sins. He died in our place, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and he was really, really dead, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. But then notice what he does. Paul's writing this church as evidence to people that these people were still alive, many of them, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. He said, well, that's just his closest followers. So they made it up. Oh, well, verse 6. Then Jesus appeared, the resurrected Christ, appeared in bodily form to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You know why he added that to the church that he's writing this to? Go ask them. They're still alive. If you want to know if he rose from the dead, go talk to them. They can say, I saw the resurrected Christ. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. By the way, James, who worshipped Jesus as God, you know who he was? The half-brother of Jesus. Now, who brother would you could convince that you are God? Can you do that? Like, tell your brother or sister, convince them that you are God in the flesh. Like, my brother will never be convinced that I'm God in the flesh. He knows how I really am. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, worshipped Jesus as God. How do you explain that? And then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, as one to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You know who this guy was? This is Paul, who was formerly Saul, that was killing Christians. He didn't want to believe this was true. But you know how everything changed for this guy named Paul? He saw the resurrected Christ. The resurrected Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he was never the same. This guy that was stifling, like he was a terrorist. And when he saw the resurrected Jesus, he became the greatest missionary of the church. And we're reading a letter that he has written of churches that have been planted because of his ministry. What do we do with this? But one more. (laughs) Third reason. As a result of these disciples preaching about this resurrection, the Christian church grew across all cultures and in spite of persecution. How do we explain that? In a culture of Gnosticism, which meant that the body and the soul, um, to really leave the body was the best thing for you. So no one in that day, so this day we kind of think resurrection, but in that day it was ludicrous to think that someone would die and want to come back into their body. They would, like, why would you want to do that? And so no one have ever even dreamt up that someone would have died and rose again and come back to this body. Why would you ever do that? And they're preaching this message of the resurrection that's not just hard to believe, but it was against the culture. And listen, because of that, people started meeting Jesus because they'd seen the resurrected Christ. The resurrection was true, and the church just exploded. Like, how do we explain that we're here in East Tennessee? You guys get this. Christianity didn't start here. You know, the Bible Belt, it's like, oh, no, no. It started in the Middle East. Like, it started way over there. How did it get to us? Why are there people from every different ethnicity, every different worldview, line of thought that is believing that Jesus really did rise from the dead? How do we explain this if it's not true? And that these disciples actually died for this, brutally died, saying the resurrection was true. I, I, I can't, you're telling me to recant, but listen, I saw this guy, I saw him brutally murdered, just as thousands of people were crucified on a cross, and I saw him rise again. I cannot help but speak the things that I've seen and heard. The disciples said, like, I've seen him. And I, you have questions, and i got questions, but, like, I've seen him. I have to do this, even to the point of their death. Now, maybe if one or two people were, were people are, you say, well, cults are all the time, 
you know, getting people to believe and stuff to the point of their death. And I get that. But how do you explain the explosion of this church, even thousands of years removed? You say, well, I wish I could see it today. Well, by the eye of faith is evidence. Listen, we have no real proof. I'm speaking to my skeptical friends here. I, I kind of didn't really believe. I was kind of agnostic a little bit before uh, Jesus saved me. I get the question. So I want to speak um, to some of us uh, here today. There's no real proof that we can prove anything happened in history. Like, well, 100%. Like, you can't prove that George Washington really was the first president. You can't prove that. <laughs> he said, well, we got really good evidence, and I believe George Washington's the first president, okay? I'm not like some conspiracy theorist. Like, I believe he's the president. Um, but we can't, we can't know for sure, but we believe it. Maybe, maybe just people just kind of made up the fabrication of George Washington for the, the new kind of colony to really, I mean, seriously, we believe George Washington. No one's going to ever even prove that we weren't all just created five minutes ago. That'll blow your mind, won't it? Like, how can we prove that we've existed? We can't. We can't prove it, but we trust by faith. And that's true for so many different things in our lives. So if the resurrection's true, it changes everything. It changes everything, and it, including us. But listen, I'll, I'll say something that you might not hear preachers say too often. If the resurrection is not true, let's go home. And that's Paul's logic. He said, if this didn't happen, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Live it up. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, it changes everything. It changes everything. But yes, it changes everything, but you know what? The most miracle of miracles, it changes reality, it changes the way we see the world. Um, but the most amazing thing for me is that it changes me that's what the resurrection does you say well how all right let's read romans 6 you say i thought we were in colossians i know we'll get there in a second okay if the resurrection is true it changes everything let's read this uh together words are from the screen we were buried therefore uh, with jesus by baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life you see that this resurrection power is not just something in the past. It has implications on every single one of our lives today. We can be united in Christ in such a way that we have newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know, verse 9, that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must. See that? Must. It's true. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The resurrection is true. Jesus is Lord. He's in control. He has power over death. He has power over the grave. He has power over life. He has power over sin. He has power over our enemy, Satan. And listen, that means he has power and control and authority over you and me. He rises from the dead. He says, I'm Lord. What I speak, like you sh should submit to me. It's not a question of making Jesus our Lord. He is Lord. We will bow to him either in eternity, when it's too late, we'll say he is Lord, we'll confess he's Lord, or we can bow on this side of eternity and say, I want my life to be lived for him. That's the question. If, he's, if he really did rise from the dead, no one else can say that. We must do something with this Jesus. 
But I just want to just speak to our friends here. And, and for those of us who are in, here and we know some of these things, listen, don't check out on me. We need to be reminded of, of who we were and of the gospel. It's beautifully good news. It has implications on everything. But for, I'm specifically speaking to those of us that are here today and you say, I don't know about this Jesus thing. Let me, let me talk to us a little bit, okay? Um, following Jesus is not about being a better version of yourself. It's not. How many times have we heard that? I gotta get up, go to church, gotta be better, gotta try harder, gotta be religious. No, no, no. It's not about being a better version of you. It's about becoming new. That's what the gospel offers. That's, that's the power of the gospel is to have a complete transformation, not just a behavior modification program. That's not what we're involved with here. It's about a complete transformation. And listen, we just read that. We have newness of life in the resurrection. Every single one of us are craving newness of life. We all are. We're wanting a new life of life. Our life feels stale. It feels kind of out of, of control. And we're all on this one big attempt to fix it. We're looking for newness of life. We're looking for something that will satisfy, something that will fulfill what's broken. And all of us, we're, we're craving that. So when the scriptures speak to this, you may not believe it's about the resurrection that will do that, but you have to admit, Christianity gives answers to all the world problems. Well, all the things that are broken, what, what fixes any of this? It's not getting a six-pack abs, and it's not getting that relationship, and it's not trying to f- get more knowledge. Like None of those things at the end of the day will satisfy. Only Jesus does. Because, listen, true life is found only in God. Like He is life. So to walk away from that God is death. Anything else that you look to will not satisfy because you were made for God. I've used this illustration to our church before. I think C.S. Lewis may have said it first. Um, a fish can look and say, you know what, I feel very restricted by all this ocean nonsense. I want to live outside of the ocean. Right? I hate being in water. It's just so, just, oh, I don't like it. I want to be free. Right? What's going to happen if that fish actually gets its wish? Dies. Why? Because the fish was made for water. If it's not in the water, it has no life. And so many of us were made for God. That's where you find your life. But to try to live outside of Him, you're going to shrivel and you're going to die, spiritually speaking. In this life, you're going to be aimless, but in the life to come and for eternity, you're going to spend eternity without God. So, um, why, if this is true, do we keep running to these things? We know they don't satisfy. How many of you have looked to something, this is for all of us, Look to something and say, that's going to be the fix. If I just get there, it's going to make it better. And then you get there, and what happens? You're still empty. Need more. And how foolish is it to keep running after the things that we know will not satisfy us, just hoping that this time it'll work? It's foolish. It's it's just a a race. Some pastors I've heard call it the cul-de-sac of stupidity. I won't be that brass. But you know what? It's the performance treadmill. That's kind of a better one. It's kind of nicer a little bit. Um, we're just running, but we're not getting anywhere. That's, that's what the nature of our sin. But listen, here's the good news. Because Jesus rose, we can too. That's the good news. This resurrection that he did, it actually was a historical evidence. It happened. Did it really happen? But then we've got to ask ourselves the question, not just did it happen. We've got to ask that question. But then, am I believing it? Am I submitting to it? To the point that it has done something in me. That it has raised me to new life. It's a question that all of us need to wrestle with both of those things. Um, so now, <laughs> we'll finally get to Colossians. And verse 20, I just want us to walk through this very quickly to say, okay, all right, Derek, 
We're talking about all this stuff. I get it. Um, but I don't understand how this resurrection makes me come alive, have newness of life. I don't understand how this happens. So I think Colossians will help us. Uh, so we'll go quickly. Uh, I promise. We'll get us out to go eat lunch and hot Easter eggs and all those good things. Here's our first statement. We all know things are not as they should be. Can we just be honest in church? Is that okay? Can we do that uh, and say, we look around the world and we say, something's wrong. We look at the news, political race, terrorism, the fear of all that. We look around and we say, something's not as it should be. So Colossians 1.20 will kind of speak to some of why this is. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We've got to wrestle with what is the saying by what it's not saying. So first, the problem of brokenness. The problem of brokenness. So we believe as Christians, God created all things good. So, okay, I look around, and all things ain't good. Can I, can I get a witness, anybody? Like it's, so why is there racism in the world? Terrorism, hate, sexual abuse, like I can't explain it. Cancer, Holocaust, just arrogance, division, marriages falling apart. If it's good, why? Like, I look around and like it's just in shambles. Where is your God? Where is his resurrection power in the midst of all this suffering in the world? And so what scripture teaches is that everything under a curse Everything's broken. Everything's twisted. It's not as it should be. It's like a mirror that's been shattered. It's not as it should be. And therefore, everything needs to be reconciled. That's what the scripture is talking about here. We need to be reconciled. So here's the beauty of restoration. We talk about the problem of brokenness, but what's the beauty of restoration? So he says this word reconciled, that Jesus is reconciling to himself all things. So reconciled really has the idea of um, to restore a previous harmony. So it's to take enemies and make them friends. You've reconciled with someone. You've, you've become um, just restored. So he said, that's what you want to do, which is, implies what? That we're hostile and enemies of God. That we need something to happen to fix this. Or he says also that he made peace by the blood of his cross. This word peace is not just the absence of hostility. So we're kind of uh, saying this, that this verse is telling us that we're all at war with God, right? All of creation is now broken because of it. And that what Christ has done, what he offers us today, is he makes peace. And peace does not mean just absence of hostility or fighting. It does mean that. That's awesome, isn't it? That he can say, we're no longer at war with one another. But it goes even deeper than that. This word peace is the word uh, shalom, or holistic human flourishing, which implies that humans are not flourishing, that we're decaying. What Christ says, what I've done on the cross and in the resurrection, there's power in that to restore humanity to the way it was meant to be. I can fix all of this through what I have done. And then notice he says, reconcile to himself. And we've already kind of alluded to this, but I'll make sure we're clear. Every evil thing in this world, every empty thing in this world is a result of us not having God at the center of it all. Because he's Lord and he has our best at heart and to walk away from that is to have chaos and shambles and so the whole world the bible says is groaning waiting redemption everything is now broken so yet maybe you're here you're kind of ahead of me and going well why in the world are we enemies of god (laughs) 
Like, is God just cranky? Like, why can't, isn't your God a God of love and grace? Like, why is everything broken? And why does God look at us and say, you're at war with me? Like, it seems a little extreme, doesn't it? And so, to which we'll have a couple statements and, and we'll be uh, finished. And all God's people said, yeah, right. Okay. So listen, it's not just we look outside in the cosmic brokenness, but we got to go a little bit deeper because the, the Bible doesn't leave it there, that God's reconciling all things, but he makes it very personal. In verse 21, he says, and you. He turns it, he says, and you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So here's a statement that I tried to help us think through this. The problem of my life is not outside of me. The problem is me. The problem is not that, like, look at all this stuff that's happened. It's not, I've been sinned against. I'm not trying to take that away from you. Some of us have been sinned against, and it's deep and it's dark, and we want to help walk you through that. Um, We don't make a lot of any of that. Um, But listen, all of those can't be excuses to wrestle with this gospel keep us from surrendering to Jesus. The problem is not outside of me. If he would just give me more evidence, I would believe. Like, No, we have evidence. And the Bible says that we wouldn't believe even if we see him because the problem's our heart. The problem's not a lack of evidence. The evidence is there. It's just that we just don't want it to be true. Romans 1 says that we suppress the truth. We hold it down. We don't want it to be true. Because if God isn't real, we can do whatever we want to do. And if he really did rise from the dead, it must change the way we live. So we, we suppress it. So here's what Paul explains this problem being me. Here's what I mean by that. And I don't mean that you don't have value. I don't mean that you don't matter, because you do matter. You're creating God's image, but you're broken because you turned away from God. So here's what he says. Um, He says alienated. Alienated. Here's the condition of every single person on this universe. Listen, the people that are really, really rebellious and just antagonistic, and even the people who grew up in Southern Baptist churches, (laughs) religious, Here's what's true for every single uh, one of us. We are alienated from God. It means to be totally separate from Him. To be considered foreign from Him. So you say, again, why? Like, why is it such a big deal? Why are we so separated from God? And so, listen, we've got to see God as He actually is. God has revealed Himself to be holy. You heard that word in church? Holy means separate, completely other. That He cannot just kind of wink at our sin. He can't sweep our sin under the rug. That he is, because he's holy, he's also just. And that if we really have, if he really is the greatest reality, and if we really have turned against him, then he has to punish us. See, we all want justice, but we just don't want it geared toward us. That's true for me. Like, I want everybody else to pay, but when it comes to me, like, I want the police officer to kind of let me off, you know, with a speeding ticket. Like, I don't want the ticket. Like, but we are craving justice to happen. When we look at a court case, and we say, the evidence is piled up and they get away free. We go, that's not fair. Like the evidence is there. He's guilty. Judge, do your job. And so God must do his job as who he is. It flows from him. He must punish sins. And so we say, okay, all right, I get that. Maybe that's true for Hitler or somebody like that. But I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And, and what I just want to humbly say to all of us, it's like, compared to what? Compared to who? So I don't mean to be, that sounds sarcastic, I don't mean to be that way, but we tend to draw lines horizontally like this. And we say, okay, on this side of the line, good people. And on this side of the line is bad people. And everybody has their version of the line. So even if you're the most relativistic, I don't believe in truth, whatever, everybody has a line 
that we say is good. And we compare ourselves across the line horizontally. So I'm better than you because I'm on this side of my line. And what we're saying is, listen, that line does not exist. We've created it, but it doesn't exist. That God's line doesn't go horizontal. God's line goes vertical. Or maybe the other way around. I don't know. Basically, shapes and figures is hard for me. Uh, That's why I talk for a living. (laughs) Um, The line is not compared to one another. The line is compared to us before God. So he draws a line, yes, it would be horizontally, between us and God. And he says, goodness is defined by how you stack up against me. I am good. I am the standard. So yeah, you might be better than your next door neighbor, but how are you compared to a holy God? We see that, we say. Every time somebody sees themselves before a holy God, they fall on their face as if they're dead. It says, woe is me, God have mercy on me. And that's, that's the reality for all of us. And I pray God opens up our eyes to see some of that. But then he says, not only were you alienated, but here's why you were alienated. So still, I don't understand, okay, I'm compared to God, but okay, because we are hostile in mind. Here's, here's why we're rebellious. Here's the, uh, the, the sin beneath the sin. You guys tracking with me? That we have hatred toward God. Hostile in mind. So b- before sin is ever about behavior, external, it starts with our minds. So Romans 1, I won't preach this. I'm just going to read it. I'll let the word do the speaking for me. For what can be known about God is plain to them. This is true for all of us because God has shown it to them. We can see God because he's made himself known in creation, through his word, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are all without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, notice, futile in their thinking. Similar to what Paul just said in Corinthians, or Colossians rather, hostile in mind, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So just convicting to all of us. Just the, the gavel is slammed and we are guilty. And then we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling us so we don't want to be created in god's image we want a god created in our image we want to be the center of it all and we've walked away and it began in our mind we're hostile toward god and even if you grew up in church and we're very religious and very kind of rule followery that is not like we can't do enough to appease this god or to reconcile ourselves to this god because we're hostile in mind that's all of us no matter how the outward expression looks we all have the same heart that's against God. And so that's why he continues, not just were we hostile in mind, but we were doing evil deeds. See, that's how it always works. Because we're alienated from God because we've turned our hearts away from him. We don't want to worship him. We don't want to live for his glory. So the outworking of that is now a bunch of just nasty sins in our behavior. So some of you need to listen to this. I, so I, this changed my life when somebody told me this, is that sin is not just about your behavior because if it is about your behavior you can clean yourself up if you're really kind of just pull yourself up by your own bootstrap kind of person but if our sin is not just a behavior problem if our sin is a heart problem ain't no one in this room can change your heart we can't change what we desire we can't change what we love and listen if you try to change the behavior without getting your heart changed it's gonna you're gonna end up prideful that's why so many religious people are prideful 
because I think they did it, or you're going to end up just despairing of your life because you think you can never keep up the standards. You're going to quit. But listen, if you ever get your heart changed, the behavior will follow. So God's not saying, hey, you, I'm mad at you because you've told a lie. Well, yeah, he is, but he goes deeper than that. He's mad at us for telling a lie. His wrath burns against us because we tell a lie, but we don't just tell lies. We are liars. (laughs) And we are liars because we want to kind of save face. See, there's always a sin beneath the sin. There's a motivation for the lying. And that motivation for the lying is I don't want to submit to God. I want to kind of make my own reality right now. I want to twist the truth to get what I want out of this situation because we see ourselves as God. See, it's not just about I told a lie, so God hates you because you told lies. No, no, no. It flows from a heart and a mind and a disposition toward God. That is the problem. And listen, that's a deeper problem than what we originally thought. If it's just about behavior, many of us are, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. But no, it goes deeper. It goes deeper. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? So here's the next statement. So we said before, the problem is not outside of me. The problem is me. So now the solution is not inside me. The solution is outside of me. So you can't look inside to fix this. Anything you do like that, I've used this illustration before, it's like spraying cologne on a corpse. It's covering it up, but it doesn't do anything to fix it. Band-aids on cancer, stapling roses on rose bushes. It's all external, and we need internal transformation. So you can't look inside yourself to be true to yourself to get life and reconciliation. The solution has to be from another. has to be outside. So that's why we'll close with this, verses 22 through 23. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith. So first, he says to us today, reconciliation is available to you today. He says he has now reconciled you. Salvation and reconciliation is not about praying a prayer and going to heaven when you die, although heaven will be beautiful. We get to be with Jesus. Eternal life is today. It's knowing Jesus today, and he offers you that now. Today is the day of salvation. So you can be reconciled to the Father. You can because of what Christ has done. So Jesus took our guilt. Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So here's what the gospel is. You ready? The good news of the gospel. Jesus in my place. Because we've sinned against God, we deserve to die. So either we'll spend eternity apart from him, paying that penalty, or we trust that God himself became a man in Jesus, and he lived the life we couldn't live. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He didn't sin. He never was hostile in mind. He never did evil deeds. And he did that for you as your representative, as a human. And then he says, I'm going to crawl up on the cross. See, listen, that wasn't Jesus' cross. He was guilty of nothing. It was our cross. The wrath that he absorbed, hell, was our wrath. But he stepped in and said, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to pay the sin so that God can look at us and still be just because he punished Jesus, but also be loving and gracious toward us because he took it for us. That's the mystery of this gospel. Listen, what God demanded from us, he provided for us. So, he didn't just take our guilt, but he gives us his righteousness in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So it would be really good news if God just says, hey, I'll wipe your slate clean, I'll forgive you of your sins. But it goes even deeper than that. He says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. So get this picture. Our sin goes on Jesus. He takes it. All the penalty, all the shame, all the guilt. And then he says, if you'll trust in me, if you will turn from your sin 
Turn from yourself and put faith and trust in Jesus, the Savior and Lord, that this actually happened, that he was who he says he was, that he did what he said he will do. Then he said, I will cover you in my righteousness to where I can now, as a holy God, can look at you and see you as not innocent, but to be declared righteous. Because we're not innocent. We are guilty, but he covers us. He gives us his righteousness. So salvation is to become in Christ. So he gives that resurrection power, raises our dead hearts to where we can love God. It fixes the righteousness problem to where we can have a relationship with God, not based upon what we do for him, but what he's done for us. And then he says, I'm going to empower you with my spirit so that you can now obey me. You can, I'm changing your desires to where now you long to be with me. That is what he promises us if we'll just repent and believe in him. It's not for everybody. It's just for those who puts faith in Christ. And so I'm going to shut my Bible to prove to you that I'm almost finished. And uh, say this last statement. Jesus is only your Savior if he's also your Lord. Because he gives this stark warning at the end. All this is true if. If. If indeed you continue in the faith. So listen, in this area, especially, it's all over the world, but especially in this area, there's a belief that because at one point in time in our lives, hang with me, I'm almost finished, that we prayed a prayer, we were baptized, we signed some card, some preacher looked at you and said, you want to burn forever, you're like, and so, okay, you're saved. I don't need me to make a lot of that, because hell's a real place. Um, but so many of us are trusting in a moment like that, that may very well have been salvation, if that was you, I don't want to make light of that at all. Um, but what he's saying to us is that if you really do trust Jesus as your Savior, if what happened in that moment really did was saving it will church listen it will produce evidence of that today faith without works is dead so to say you know jesus and say i know jesus but then look at our lives and say we have no love for jesus we have no desire for jesus we live in for ourselves and not for his glory we have to ask ourselves the question do we know jesus because he's beautiful and when you see beauty you just you're awestruck if you have no awe today, you have to know, do you know the real Jesus? If you have no desire whatsoever to follow him, you have to ask, do I really know him? And what I'm not saying is look at your life and doubt you're saved because you struggle. Because, listen, I got up this morning, can I be honest with you, and doubted the resurrection. That's hard for me to say out loud. Um, my team, they were, were praying over me just because I just struggle with doubt. I'm not saying it's an absence of struggle. I struggle to believe every day. But are you making progress? Are you moving toward him? Is it a constant rhythm of repentance and belief? And say, I, I don't believe, but Lord, help my belief. And I believe you're true. I believe you love me. I believe what the cross is true. That is salvation, and it will produce fruit. If you can indeed continue in the faith. If you're not continuing in the faith, it may, you may never began in the faith. And I don't say that to say, to scare you. I won't, but this is eternity here. This is a first importance. Like, do you know Jesus? Don't buy the lie of religion. It's, a, it's, a, it's deceptive. Do you know him as he actually is? So I'll let God's word say, what do we do with this? Well, let's listen to it. Now praying after this, okay? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And you never deserved this, never earned it. And this is not your own doing. So he's not telling you to try harder. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. He didn't save you because you were good. So no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. Go notice, created in Christ Jesus. What does it say? 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, he has an abundance of life for you that is underneath his rule. You can't just live however you want to if you're following Jesus. He's Lord, but he's such a good Lord. His, his rule is a good rule. And your life is best lived living the way he says it's supposed to go. It's for your joy. Will you surrender uh, to him today? Uh, so bow with me. Um, um, for some of us, um, and so if some of you are getting really nervous right now, don't be. We're not going to do put you on the spot. We're not going to do anything silly. Uh, I just wanted to give you a space to um, wrestle with the claims of Christ and what we're talking about uh, today. I'm going to start with some of our friends who are here, and, and you do know Jesus. Can I just start with us? Um, some of us are just spiritually burdened. Uh, we're just so tired. And what you need to hear today is because of the resurrection, he accepts you fully in Christ. That it's finished and it's done, and you can walk in freedom. So just claim that freedom. Call out, Abba, Father, I need you to restore my joy. This really is true, and I need it to do its work in me today. To the spiritually tired, um, as Tolkien said, the resurrection is, makes every sad thing become untrue. He's going to fix it. The resurrection is hope that one day we will rise again, that we'll have a glorified body, and we get to spend eternity just praising Him and enjoying Him. And He will put to end all suffering, and He will be the just judge over the universe. He will set all the wrongs right. He will fix what's crooked. He will. He will. Jesus needs a rest in the resurrection this morning. Uh, but listen, some of us in this room, um, you didn't come in expecting this, um, but you've realized today, because, not because of anything I've said, because of the word, that you know what? I don't know that I know Jesus. Listen, it's of first importance. And I don't want you to make some emotional decision in a moment like this because it's Easter and you're supposed to, no, 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 nothing like that. Like, is this true? Some of you aren't ready to really repent and believe. You just need to ask yourself the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? You can start there. I challenge you. Get up from today, take this afternoon after family time, and just explore this. There's evidence. It'll hold up under the weight of your questions. And if you need us to help you walk through that, we'd love to. Some of you say, man, I see the evidence, and it's pretty hard to, it would take more faith to not believe it than to believe it. And I'm willing to doubt my doubts. All right, Derek, so I think Jesus rose from the dead. It has implications for my life. What does that mean? Well, it means that today you can be reconciled to the Father. You can have new life. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be restored to Him. So how do I do that? Well, we've been talking about it, but we say, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against God in my hostility of mine and my evil deeds, and I deserve God's wrath. I deserve hell. But what, Derek, what you're saying is that Jesus became a man, lived the life I couldn't live, died my death that I deserve, and he rose again, offering me life and freedom and victory. So my question is, will you trust him? Do you trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he really is God in the flesh? Will you trust that Jesus did do what he said he did, that he paid the penalty for your sin, and he rose again, if you will just turn? So how do I turn? You can just confess to God your need. Nothing I can do can fix me. Nothing I can do can make this right. And I'm tired of going my own way. I want you. Yes, to go to heaven one day, but I want you now. I want to start living for you now. I want to enjoy you now. And if you will forgive me of all my nastiness, I'll take it. Yeah, it's a gift. It's grace. Derek, is it really that easy? It really is that easy. 
follow him with your life. And I never, ever, ever, I promise, never do this, very rarely. Uh, I just really feel impressed uh, by the Spirit. If you're here, I'm not, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Just pray. So if you say, Derek, that's me. You pray for me. Will you just lift your hand? Uh, you set it right back down. I just want to be able to pray for you. I don't know that I know Jesus. Will you pray for me? So, Father, we praise you for the resurrection, that it's true, and it has implications on all of our lives today. So, thank you that you're alive, that you've shown grace to unworthy people like us. So, we want to praise you, uh, that you've raised us to life. Sin was strong, but you're stronger. And there's a reason that we go and live our lives, because you are alive, and it changes everything. So, we love you, receive your praise now, it's in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to, just a moment, we're going to stand up, we're going to sing some songs to celebrate Jesus, and we get to go out to lunch here in just a few more minutes. Uh, but if you're here and you just want to know more and talk, we'll be here after the service, but I just challenge you to be so bold right now. Just to get up and just go out to the back. We're out here just hanging out. Let's just talk. Just have a conversation. Uh, to get your questions. Please don't leave here today um, if you don't know Jesus. Uh, we want to help you with that. If you're here and you know Jesus, and your next step is baptism. You need to profess that. We're going to do that next week uh, for baptisms. And so if you're here saying, I've never done that, and I want to do that, come back and let's talk. Um, let's talk about what that means and celebrate this life change that we have. And so let's stand. If you need to talk, exit out now uh, to the back, and we're going to celebrate this newness of life that we have in Jesus.